1: Hello and welcome to Attaboy Clarence, again, episode 8. As usual, this is brought to you by Amazon. Go to attaboyclarence.com, click on the Attaboy Clarence podcast link and scroll down till you see an Amazon banner. Click on that, then do all your shopping through Amazon. Thank you very much. If you could all step it up with the uh, with the purchases, please. I'm uh, I'm hoping to be a millionaire by the summer. So far, I've made an absolute tenor through this. Remember to go to the Facebook page. That's uh, facebook.com/atboyclarence and like the page and follow me on Twitter at at a-double-t-a-b-o-y-c. Attaboy Admin for this week done shockingly short this week because i am tired of listening to myself at the beginning of these shows being boring i reserve that right for the rest of the show thank you very much i do have some hellos some shout outs for this week though first of all to the bad ideas podcast they very kindly discovered the show through the uh rathbone bruce documentary and gave me a shout out on their episode last week so thank you very much and hi back to you I have now subscribed to that podcast and like it very much. Thank you. It's basically a discussion of geek culture, films, movies, games, everything I like. So, hey guys, much love, put her there, back at you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Also, a very, very big hello to everyone at OTRPlus.com. I was checking through my referrals this week, um, having a look at where people are coming from uh, to the site, where they're coming from—Facebook or Twitter or from Google. And I saw OTR Plus mentioned uh, numerous times. So I went over to the site to see why they were coming. <laughs> and I uh, found a very, very, very flattering post by a man named Paul, who had recommended me to everyone at OTRplus.com. He was extremely generous with his comments. And um, I just want to say thank you very much. I've looked through the site and think it's a fantastic site, especially if you're into old-time radio. I urge anyone that's enjoyed any of the episodes that uh, I've produced to go to otrplus.com and sign up. I certainly have. And can I just say to you all that it's fantastic to see people who are truly passionate about old-time radio actively discussing it. Most of the forums I've visited uh, that are to do with old-time radio are, I'm going to be controversial, a little bit half-hearted. I'm sure there are some brilliant ones out there. Maybe I've just been unlucky. But, yeah, I I must say, otrplus.com, everyone there seems to know their stuff. They're all really passionate about old-time radio. They even have a jolly boys club which instantly makes me think of the great Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, you're just all fabulous people. And thank you so much if you've come from there and have listened to the show. I very much appreciate it. The, uh, the comments keep coming in regarding the Rathbone Bruce documentary, which was episode six, um, and it's been a bit overwhelming, actually. So um, thank you if you've been in contact, uh, mainly over email, I have to say. I really, really appreciate it. Um, all your kind words. And um, I'm very, very glad that you've all enjoyed the episode. What I've decided to do from now on, for anyone who's listened to the show from episode one, which was god-awful, by the way, can I just say to anyone who's just subscribed, I apologise from the bottom of my heart for episode one. I look back on it with utter shame. As uh, Sean Connery once said,
2: It breaks the heart.
1: It really does. Um, <laughs> apologies. The radio play's great. Roland Young, of course. Awesome. Uh, But I was terrible. I'm very sorry. The sound quality was appalling. Uh, It got better from episode two. I would almost, if it hadn't been for the Brighton Strangler, uh, causing me to have a fit of
2: laughter.
1: But yes, can I say that uh, from now on, the case will be with this podcast that I will be doing four normal episodes and every fifth episode uh, from now uh, will be a documentary because I enjoyed making the Rathbone Bruce one so much that I've decided to do it again. I'm currently working on one entitled Sex in Monochrome, and it's all about cinema before the Hayes Office of Censors took control of Hollywood's output in 1934. So if that subject interests you, remember to stay subscribed, because it'll be coming up in episode 11. So let's get straight on to movies. Uh, first movie I watched this week, The Devil's Party from 1938, starring Victor McLaglen and Paul Kelly. Uh, it's based on a book. <laughs> I-, I love this book title. Uh, the book title is Hell's Kitchen Has a Pantry.
0: Hell's Kitchen Has a Pantry.
1: Uh, it's about a gang of kids called uh, the Death Avenue Cowboys. And when the kids, uh, they romp around uh, Hell's Kitchen. One in particular is called Marty. He's sent to a reformatory for taking the blame when they uh, they break into a property. And uh, when he gets out, he becomes uh, a criminal and eventually a club owner. Um, two of the gang, Joe and Mike, who are brothers, uh, become cops. And uh, the last one, Jerry, becomes a priest. Uh, there's a girl in the gang, and her name's Helen, and she becomes a nightclub singer. And she, she's a singer at uh, Marty's Club. It's called... The Cigarette Club, uh, imaginative name. Marty has loaned some money to a chap, and uh, he wants it back, so he sends two of his thugs to uh, to go and get the money back, and they rough him up, but they accidentally kill him, uh, and they try to make it look as though it's an accident, but they don't do a very good job.
3: He's a little fresh. Sold him down a bit. If you have to push him around, do it gently. Just, uh, you know... Uh Teach him how to write a good check. We'll treat him like a brother.
1: This coincides with a yearly reunion that the Death Avenue Cowboys have every year at Marty's Club. And uh, the two brothers, uh, Joe and Mike, tell Marty that they suspect, because they're looking into the death of this guy, that it wasn't an accident. It might have been murder.
3: A man was murdered tonight up in a swell apartment on Columbus Circle.
4: Murdered?
1: That's Joe's
3: theory. The detectives reported it an accident. The guys that murdered this fellow Brewster wanted it to look like an accident. Wait a minute. Did you say his name was Brewster? Yeah. James Brewster. What's the matter, Marty? You know him? Well, he was a very good customer of mine. What makes you think he was murdered? A big electric sign fell on him, only it didn't just fall, it was pushed. After one of the supporting stanchions had been cut clean with a chisel.
1: Um, this came out in 1938, and it's actually quite similar to Angels with Dirty Faces. You know, you've got a notorious gangster who's uh, he's remained close to his childhood friends. It's set in the tenements of New York. Um,. <laughs> as even a priest called Jerry. And I would have said that this was a, a pretty terrible rip-off of Angels with Dirty Faces, but uh, it came out in May 1938. And Angels with Dirty Faces came out in November of 1938. So it actually predates Angels with Dirty Faces. So I'm thinking that maybe Angels with Dirty Faces took elements from this film because it's a far, far superior film uh, to The Devil's Party. The Devil's Party looks as though it had no budget whatsoever. And the acting is okay, but Victor McLaglen is horribly miscast in this film. Um, When he's a kid and he's romping around Hell's Kitchen, breaking windows, he has the really strong New York accent. But when he's Victor McLaglen later in life, he has a very (laughs) Very thick Irish accent. (laughs) That wasn't an Irish accent at all. I apologize. Yeah, his accent is, you know, thick Irish and does it, you know, <laughs> you keep thinking, where was this reformatory? <laughs> is it in Dublin? <laughs> and the thing is as well, he's a giant man, isn't he, Victor McLaglen? Uh, but he's strangely unthreatening in this. He, he has some scenes with uh, Helen and he's so big and dumb. <laughs> he's he's very unthreatening in this film and I think it needed a big threatening presence to have worked (laughs) he's just really hard to buy as a criminal in this it's strange because he was a superb uh, lowlife in John Ford's The Informer from a few years earlier I wanted to tell you about uh, The Devil's Party also because of Paul Kelly, who plays Father Jerry. He had a crazy life. I remember seeing him first in the Roaring Twenties. He was Nick Brown, the rival gang leader. He was James, C- James Cagney's rival, and they kept stealing his liquor all the time. Hey,
3: before you go to it, it's you and me better have a talk. You're heading for trouble. This is Nick Brown's boat. Annie, keep that stuff moving fast. we got to get it all off before daylight. It's moving.
1: He's on the other side of the law in this, he's um, father Jerry Donovan. And he's pretty good. I remember telling you in um, episode six, the uh, the Rathbone Bruce documentary, that after Basil Rathbone left the Sherlock Holmes role, he went on the stage and starred in The Heiress. And in 1948, he was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Actor. Well, Paul Kelly is the man that beat him to that award that night. Uh, he won the award for his role in Command Performance. And he announced on stage while he was accepting the award that he wanted to share it with Basil Rathbone and Henry Fonda, who'd uh, who'd been nominated for Mr. Roberts. This stage production before it became a movie in 1927 though he had a fist fight with an actor called ray raymond uh, imaginative parents there and a couple of days after the fight uh, raymond died from his injuries well paul kelly was sent to san quentin for 25 months for manslaughter the crazy thing about it is that a couple of years after he got out he played warden duffy uh, he was a real-life warden in a film called Duffy of San Quentin. So he basically went from being an inmate of San Quentin to being the boss of the place. <laughs> I guess he must have uh, must have kept his nose clean. But it gets weirder because later he married Ray Raymond's widow, Dorothy McKay. And because everyone assumed that Paul Kelly had killed Ray Raymond because he was involved with her before the killing, um, she was sent to prison too as an accomplice to the manslaughter. Uh, she wrote a book about it called Women in Prison, which was turned into a 1933 movie called Ladies They Talk About, which starred Barbara Stanwyck. So Paul Kelly very interesting life.
2: I, love
1: I also watched Footlight Parade from 1933 with Jimmy Cagney and Joan Blondell and Ruby Keeler and Dick Powell and Frank McHugh. James Cagney is Chester Kent in this. He's a Broadway musical director who um, sees his livelihood disappear when talking movies come in. Because no one wants to see musical comedies on the stage, they can see them on the screen now for a fraction of the price. So he decides to uh, organise pre-movie shows for the theatre audiences, sort of a a pre-movie entertainment that that really used to take place. People don't really get it now, but um, when you used to go to the movies, it wasn't a two-hour experience like it is now. There used to be uh, a newsreel, a cartoon, there would sometimes be a short uh, educational film, maybe about geography or something, Uh, and there was a live musical performance. Uh, before the movie, or sometimes there were two movies. Um, they were called prologues, and Footlight Parade is all about the backstage goings-on behind the shows. When you
3: put on one prologue, it's too expensive. But when the same prologue plays 25, 50, 100 houses, it doesn't cost a cent more. Get it? We might have something there. Yeah. Oh, the same scenery, same costumes. Put them on once and they stay put on. But we've only got four theatres. Play them all over Chicago, all over the country. Exhibitors everywhere will tickle pink to get ready-made prologue. How do you know? It's a cinch because you can give them swell prologues cheaper than they can put them on themselves. And why? Because you're in the chain store business. Hi, si, he's right.
1: It's a really charming film and it's... A- A radical change of pace for Cagney, who was smack bang in the middle of his tough guy period here. Like, this is right between Lady Killer and uh, the Mayor of Hell, and a year before the Hayes Office of Census came in. (laughs) It really shows. There's an awful lot of flesh on show in this film. Really quite racy stuff, Um, especially during a synchronised swimming sequence at the end. And really, nothing is left to the imagination. (laughs) There's lots of close-ups and, yeah, I mean, there's lots of this underwater cam, shall we say? (laughs) And the dialogue, too. It's for a stay. It's pretty risque. Here's a clip.
4: How dare you, my fiancee! Now you scram before I wrap a chair around your neck. But at three o'clock in the morning, where do you want me to go? Go That's on you, chief stenographer. Outside, countess. As long as they have sidewalks, you've got a job.
1: If you enjoyed uh, Cagney's dancing in Yankee Doodle Dandy, that Fabulous dance he does down the steps. It's unparalleled. But if you enjoyed him in that, then you'll love him in this because he dances throughout most of the film. And at the end, he actually sings uh, the Shanghai Lil number, and it's great stuff.
3: <laughs> Hello, Bill. You all good? Where'd you get that? Don't tell anyone you saw me, or I'll wrap you in a Hey, You jumped ship, now what's your game? Oh, just looking for a dame. Staying here, you're taking chances. Yeah? Well, I'll stay just the same.
2: I've covered every little
3: highway
2: and I've been climbing every hill. I've been looking high and I've been looking long looking for my Shanghai Lil stars that hang high over shanghai bring back the memory of a thrill i've been looking
3: high and i've been looking low looking for my shanghai Lil.
1: It's also massively impressive on a visual scale. Busby Berkeley choreographed the whole thing, and I know that's anathema to some people, but I would say if you're not a fan of the old-style Busby Berkeley movies, then uh, you should really try this movie. My family are all ages. I have a 5-year-old, a 7-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 32-year-old uh, wife. Uh, They were in and out of the room while I was watching this and they all stopped what they were doing when they saw what I was watching and just gawked at the screen. It is amazing to watch. There are three uh, set pieces, shall we say, uh, towards the end of the movie. They're all quite short as well. The first one is uh, called The Honeymoon Hotel and it's brilliantly done. It's an actual romantic comedy set to music and done in a few minutes and it's so utterly charming. Wait till you see it.
4: When you're here a week, then you're qualified to speak. Let's tell her what it's all about. My dear, will you come out? Oh, I'm glad it's you. I feel so nervous. I don't know my
3: husband very well. Husbands are a feature of the service at the
4: honeymoon hotel. Gee, I'm sorry that I ever, ever left my little home in New Rochelle. Wait a while. You want to stay forever
1: at the hotel. Uh, That's followed by another production called By a Waterfall, where hundreds of girls make the most hypnotic patterns in the water using their bodies before turning into a giant human waterfall. It's massively impressive. You need to see it. And it's finished by the Shanghai Lil number where Cagney steps in for the guy that has to drop out at the last minute. <laughs> and he sings and dances with Ruby Keeler telling the story of this soldier who's in love with a prostitute. And it's movie magic. You just need to see this movie. It's absolutely fantastic. The Shanghai Lil' number is <laughs> quite racist, I won't lie to you. Um, yeah, it's a bit shocking, maybe, if you're sensitive to that kind of thing. There's a, a moment when she appears from a box and introduces herself to the audience with the line.
3: I miss you belly much a long time I think that you no love me still
1: It's all tied together with an awesome cast. It's Dick Powell, James Cagney, Guy Kibbe, Frank McHugh. uh, Frank McHugh, sorry. (laughs) It's another Bluebeard's eighth wife situation happening here. Uh, Ruth Donnelly, Joan Blondell is absolutely fantastic in this film. She's Cagney's secretary. She is brilliant. I love Joan Blondell. Last film I watched, Merrily We Go to Hell, from 1932. I thought this was going to be a romantic comedy. It's certainly not a romantic comedy at all. Um, It stars Frederick March as an alcoholic journalist who marries Sylvia Sidney, who's a young heiress, uh, and she's utterly devoted to him, but he treats her uh, really badly and spends the whole film off his trolley, and it's the story of their... Turbulent marriage together. He has affairs, so despite him, uh, she has one too with Cary Grant, who gets 10th billing here. This is a very early appearance from him. Uh, the film I- itself is very, very melodramatic, but it's also quite brave to deal with alcoholism like this. It all goes along quite predictably uh, until the end when a certain tragic event takes place, which is actually rather shocking, I would say. I have to say, Frederick March in this is a scary. Scary drunk. Uh, You know, when he drinks, he almost loses his humanity. It's blank stares, completely vacant eyes. He's like a stranger. And when you see him from scene to scene, where he's gregarious and outgoing, and then all of a sudden he takes a drink and he turns into this terrifying ghost of a man. It's a very brave portrayal. He didn't mean to do it, Joan. It was the excitement as much as the liquor.
4: But you don't understand. This is my announcement party. He can't do this to me. Help me do something. Oh, Chelsea, we've got to do something. is not that anything.
3: Well, I did everything possible. Gave him a shower and walked him all over the lakefront, but he passed out on me in the cab. I thought maybe by the time we got over here that...
4: Oh, Chelsea, I can't go back in there. I just couldn't stand the humiliation. I simply couldn't. I couldn't. Joan! Joan!
1: And Sylvia Sidney is absolutely exquisite in this film not only does she give uh, an impressive performance as this sort of young wide-eyed ingenue who slowly becomes this world-weary beaten down uh, woman but she's so utterly beautiful in this film that it hurts your eyes to look at her i mean the film i remember her for the most is uh, sabotage uh, the alfred hitchcock film but she is absolutely jaw-droppingly beautiful she was 22 in this film and she reminds me so much of the uh supermodel from today uh miranda carr anyway amazing stuff uh not for the squeamish and certainly not a romantic comedy (laughs) but yeah definitely worth a look i have a competition for you all this week um you can win the blu-ray of the towering inferno it's not exactly the era of movies that i usually cover It's a slightly later movie, but nevertheless, I have a copy to give away. And if you would like to win it, then come back after this week's radio play, and I'll tell you how. The radio play for this week is a romantic affair. (laughs) It also helps that it's a great piece of comedy, too. I needed to see Ernst Lubitsch firing on all cylinders after the disappointment of uh, Bluebeard's eighth wife, which I can say perfectly now. (laughs) So I picked one of his greatest stories for you for this week which i'm sure you'll all be familiar with already it's one of the best romantic comedies ever made and i'd really like to take the opportunity of dedicating it this week uh, to a pal who i know holds it in the highest regard Uh, so mike this one's for you
0: now ladies and gentlemen for our first production of the season we bring you margaret sullivan james stewart and frank morgan in the shop around the corner
3: corner, they call this story. And do you know whose shop? Mattercheck and Company. Novelties and leatherware. Best of its kind in Budapest. It really is. Wonderful values at all times. In fact, I don't know how mattercheck and Company does it. Uh, just a moment, please. Uh, who are you? Uh, wh- uh me? Well, I'm Matrachek. Oh, yes. Well, anyhow, it all happened in my store. Practically all. That's why I'm telling it. Well, this is the story of two young people of whom I'm very fond, Clara and Martin. Clara is very attractive, yes. She's most attractive and uh, an excellent sales girl. But Martin and Clara haven't gotten on at all from the very first day she came to work for me. Professional jealousy on Martin's part because no head clerk likes to have an assistant, especially such a pretty assistant,
4: outsell him.
3: Miss Novak, whatever became
2: of those musical cigarette boxes that nobody ever buys?
4: I just sold the last one, Mr. Martin.
2: Oh. Uh, can I show you something, madam?
4: Uh, no, thank you. I prefer to have the young lady wait on me.
2: Oh. Well, I've had a pretty good day. My sales come to exactly 176 kronen.
4: Mm, my sales come to 250 kronen. Oh.
3: <laughs> Yes. You, uh, you can easily see how these little occurrences would hardly make for a beautiful friendship. But all this didn't seem very important to Martin these days. He had something else on his mind. Martin was living in a romantic plane, far above the everyday routine of Machacek and company. I found that out one day when I chanced to overhear him talking with a fellow clerk named Pirovich. Nice, Pirovich. Yeah. What is it?
0: It's
2: a letter from a girl. Now, Listen. My heart was trembling as I walked into the post office. And there you were, lying in box 237. And I took you out of your envelope and read you. I read you right there. Oh, dear friend. Well,
0: what is all this?
2: Well, you see, I, I was looking through the ads in the Sunday paper, and I got on the wrong page, and I ran across this ad. Here, here, let me show it to you, see?
0: Modern girl wishes to correspond on cultural subjects anonymously with intelligent, sympathetic young man. Address,
2: dear friend, post office 15, box 237. Now, we've exchanged four letters, and Pirovich, she, she's no ordinary girl. Now, listen to this. Are you tall or short? Are your eyes brown? Are they blue? Now, don't tell me. What does it matter so long as our minds meet? You're right. It is I, I, beautiful. Yes, that. now, listen. What are men and women for but to rise above the stupid necessities of the eight-hour day?
0: That sounds very nice, Martin, but you really should Oh, you
2: excuse, go- me, excuse me, Pervich. Uh, Miss Novak, where do you think
4: you're going? I'm going home, Mr. Martin. It's six o'clock.
2: It's five minutes of six. This store does not close for another five minutes. I'm afraid, Miss Novak, that you don't take your work very seriously.
4: Oh, don't I? No,
2: no, and no, I don't like your attitude.
4: Listen, let me tell you something.
2: Yes, and while I think of it, I don't like the clothes you've been wearing in the store. For instance, that yellow blouse with the light green dots you had oh, that on yesterday. A green
4: blouse with light yellow dots. And everybody else thought it was very becoming.
2: Yes, yes. And oh, I, I don't
4: guess. remember that I ever remarked about your neckties. And believe me, Mr. Martin, if you think I couldn't say anything about your necktie, so I'll thank you to leave my blouse alone. It's none of your business.
2: Well, I'm very sorry, but Mr. Monticek seems to think it is my business.
4: Oh, yes, that's right. I'm working under you. Well, from now on, I'll telephone you every morning to describe just exactly what I'm going to wear. And before I select my next season's wardrobe, my dressmaker will submit samples to you. Imagine you dictating what I should well, wear. Well, for
2: heaven's oh. sake, I don't care what you wear. If you want to look like a pony in the circus, all right. Listen,
4: I sold as much goods yesterday as anybody else in the place. hundred ninety-seven kronen isn't bad for a rainy Friday three weeks before Christmas. Did you tell that to Mr. Martin? I did. What did he say? He
2: said, tell her not to come on that blouse anymore. Tell him I
4: won't. I will. Now
2: come, come, come. Always fighting you two. Why, why don't you try to get along better? I'd
4: like to know who could get along with a man like him. Oh, it is now exactly six o'clock, Mr. Martin. May I go? Yes,
2: Miss Novak.
4: Oh, thank you very much. A stubborn little female. I don't know why we
2: ever hired that girl. No, don't get yourself all worked up. Come down. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, what do I care about a girl like that? I'll forget her.
0: Uh, Tell me more about that girl you've been writing to. You know, dear thing. Hmm? What? Oh, 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 yeah. Her, oh, but she's wonderful.
2: She's well. You know, after a while, in our letters, we came to the subject of love. Well, naturally, on a very cultural level.
0: What else can you do in a letter? No. <laughs>
2: but Pirovich, she's the most marvelous girl in the world. She has such ideals, such a point of view on things. Why, she's so far above the girls you meet today, there's, there's simply no comparison. You really
3: like her, don't you?
2: I hope I will. What do you mean? You love a girl and you don't know if you like her? That's right, Pirovich. That's just the question. You see, I I, I haven't met her yet. You haven't? what? Well,
0: after all this
2: time? Oh, I postponed it again and again. I, I'm scared, Pirovich. You see, this girl thinks I'm the most wonderful person in the world, and after all, there's a chance she might be disappointed. Yeah, I see. I oh, yeah, but tonight I'm taking the risk. I'm meeting her tonight at 8 o'clock in a cafe. She's going to have a copy of Tolstoy's Anna Karenina Corinna and a red coronation for a bookmark. Oh, I haven't slept for days. I'm sure she'll be beautiful. Well, not too beautiful. No, what chance would it be for a fellow like me? Would you want a homely girl? No, 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 no. No, no, just a lovely, average girl,
3: that's all. Yeah, that's uh, that's the clock in the back of my shop striking 8 p.m. And that's exactly the hour Martin was to meet dear friend for the first time at the cafe. Well, when the time came, Martin didn't feel quite so brave, so he asked Pirovich to come along to give him moral support. And even after he got there, he was afraid to go in. He stood with Pirovich in a shadow outside the front window and peered in. He wanted Pirovich to see if he could spot a girl with a red carnation for a bookmark. Not yet. uh, Oh, oh,
2: there's a beautiful girl. Really? Very beautiful. But no book. Oh, too bad. Wait, wait, Wait a minute. I think I see it, right here under the window. Yeah. Anna Karenina by Tolstoy. The carnation. Yes, yes. Well, what does she look like? Well, I can't see her face. She's sitting behind the clothes rack. There's a cup of coffee on the table. She's taking a piece of cake.
0: Mart, She's
2: dunking. Well, why shouldn't she? Oh, all right. Uh, well, what else, Pirabit? Well, how does she look? Well, I can't see her face yet. Don't, don't shove me, Martina leaning forward now. She... Can you see her? Yes. Is she pretty?
0: Very pretty. She is,
2: huh?
0: I would say she looks... She has a little of the coloring of Clara. Clara?
2: What, you mean Miss Novak of the shop?
0: Martin, you, you must admit that... Clara is a good-looking
2: girl, and
4: and personally,
2: I've always found her a very likable girl. Well, this is a fine time to be talking about Miss Novak. Well, if you don't like Miss Novak, I can tell you right now, you won't like this girl. Why?
0: Because it is Miss Novak.
3: (laughs) Well, Martin was all for turning on his heel and starting home. But his friend Pirovich pointed out that Miss Novak had written those letters. And it really wasn't fair to the girl to leave her waiting there. Much against his will, Martin finally agreed to go inside the cafe and talk to Mr. Novak. Well, hello, Mr. Novak. Oh,
2: good evening, Mr.
4: Martin.
2: Well, uh, what a coincidence. I had an appointment. You haven't seen Mr. Perovich by any chance, have you?
4: No, no, I haven't.
2: Well, I... I guess I'll wait. Mind if I sit down here? Yes,
4: I do. Please. Oh, Mr. Martin, I... I have an appointment, too. Oh,
2: oh. Well, there's no harm just sitting here, is there? Oh, Oh, I see you're reading Tolstoy's Anna Karenina.
4: Yes. Anything against it?
2: Oh, no, 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 no. I never expected to meet you in a cafe with Tolstoy. It's quite a surprise. I didn't know you went in for the higher literature. Huh? Yes,
4: Well, there's so many things you don't know about me, Mr. Martin. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you ever read Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky?
4: No, I haven't.
2: I have. A lot of things you don't know about me, too, Miss Novak. You know, know, people people seldom go to the trouble of scratching the surface of things to find the inward truth.
4: Really, Mr. Martin. I wouldn't care at all to scratch your surface. Probably because I know exactly what I'd find. A handbag instead of a heart, a suitcase instead of a soul, instead of an intellect, a cigarette lighter that doesn't work.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's that, that very well put. I think comparing my intellect with a cigarette lighter that doesn't work, that's that's a very interesting mixture of poetry and meanness. Meanness? I don't, don't, don't,
4: don't
2: understand no
4: Mr. I thought I told you I was expecting somebody.
2: Listen. Listen, if your party doesn't show up, would would I... Don't worry
4: about that, Mr. uh, Martin. This party will show up. It's really not necessary for you to entertain me.
2: Well, let me tell you something, Miss Novak. You may have beautiful thoughts, but you certainly hide them. And as far as your actions are concerned, you're cold and snippy like an old maid, and you're going to have a terrible time finding a man to fall in love with you.
4: I? An old maid? So? No man will fall in love with me? Really, Mr. Martin, you're getting funnier every minute. Why, I could show you letters that would open your eyes. No, maybe not. You probably wouldn't understand what's in them. They're written by a type of man so far above you that it's ridiculous. Ha! I have to laugh when I think of you calling me an old maid. You! You little insignificant clerk. (laughs)
0: So ends Act One of our first Gulf production of the season. During the brief moment before the curtain rises on Act Two, I'd like to tell you some of the many things in store for you here in the Gulf Theater. Next week, for instance, you'll meet Clark Gable, Ann Southern, and Jeffrey Lynn in the great motion picture success, Red Dust. The following week, the pair you've all been waiting for, Vivian Lee and Laurence Olivier, in Private Lives. In future weeks, among others, you'll hear from Jack Benny, Claudette Colbert, Ernst Lubitsch, Basil Rathbone, James Cagney, Mickey Rooney, and Judy Garland. And now, I know you'd like to hear a word about the man... who's really behind the gulf theater. Your neighborhood good gulf dealer. He hopes you'll be listening in every week. And he hopes, too, that you'll take advantage of all he can do... to give you more miles of motoring satisfaction. He's ready with that helpful gulf service... and with those splendid gulf products, gulf gasolines, and gulf motor oils. Next time you're out driving... Stop in at the sign of the Gulf Orange Disc and meet your neighborhood good Gulf dealer. And now we return to the second chapter of our story, The Shop Around the Corner, starring Margaret Sullivan, James Stewart,
3: Frank Morgan, Oscar Bradley's music with Frank
0: Tours conducting. Yeah,
3: well, thank you, Mr. Pryor. I'll take over from here. It uh, it was a terrible blow to Martin when he looked in the window of the cafe and discovered the unknown girl he'd been writing to for so many weeks was none other than his fellow clerk, Clara. But it was more of a blow to Clara when, after Martin left, she waited two hours and her dream prince didn't show up. She took it hard, poor child. You, uh, you know how girls are, especially the dreamer type like Clara. Why, uh, I once knew a girl before I was married that... It... Yes, well, that's another story, uh, another program. Uh, Clara, as I say, took it very hard. She even stayed home from work, she was so upset. Martin felt pretty bad about this, so he decided he ought to call on her, strictly in the line of duty, of course. Incidentally, whenever you hear that particular rapping on that particular door, ladies and gentlemen, that means Mr. Martin is calling on Miss Novak.
2: Good evening, Miss Novak.
4: Oh, good evening, Mr. Martin. Come in.
2: Uh, How are you, young lady?
4: I'm all All right, right, Mr. Martin. Sorry I couldn't come to work.
2: Oh, that's all right. Now, you must take care of yourself.
4: I'm sure I'll be all right in a day or two. But
2: that doesn't mean that you should neglect yourself. I, you see, I feel pretty responsible for the whole thing.
4: You? Oh, no, Mr. Martin. Oh, no, I think I can relieve your mind. It wasn't your fault at all. No, there's a much bigger reason, unfortunately. A psychological reason. But it's my personal problem, and I'll come out of it. It's just one of those things. Oh,
2: i very sorry. It's really a shame that you have to go through all this. But, of course, so long as it's only psychological.
4: Only psychological. Mr. Martin, is true we're in the same room, but we are not in the same planet.
2: <laughs> Miss Nowak, I... Although I'm the victim of your remark, I, I must admire your exquisite way of expressing yourself. You uh, certainly know how to put a man in his planet. Uh-huh.
4: Yes, come in. You're Clara, a special delivery letter has just come for you. Oh, really? Thank you, Aunt Anna. I hope it's good news. Uh, well, Mr. Martin, it certainly was kind of you to drop in, but I I don't want to spoil your evening. Oh,
2: no, it's lots of time. You go right ahead with your letter. Don't pay no attention, ma'am. Yeah,
4: well, if you don't mind. Oh. Well, it's good news. Oh. Uh, Wonderful news, Mr. Martin. You know, if I weren't feeling so wonderful right now, I could be very mad with you. With me? Why? Why? Because you really spoiled my date the other night. I wasn't so wrong when I asked you not to sit down at my table. You see, this gentleman did come to the cafe. He looked in the window, saw us together, and he misunderstood.
2: Oh, you mean you mean he thought you and I were friends. Yeah,
4: he must have. Listen to what he writes. Uh, tell me, who is this very attractive young man? He's... He's just the type women fall for. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, sorry I caused you so much trouble. <laughs>
4: oh, I'll straighten it out. Let him be a little jealous. We'll hurt him.
2: Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem to be much of a man, this friend of yours. He walks away. He's afraid to come over to the table because another man's Let's sitting say, there.
4: Martin, he was not afraid. I can assure you, he's tactfully sensitive. He's not the kind of a man who would sit at a table uninvited. It's difficult to explain a man like him to a man like you. Where you would say black, he would say white. Where you would say ugly, he says beautiful. And where you would say old maid, he says, listen, here. uh, Eyes that sparkle with fire and mystery. vivacious, Fascinating. (laughs) He says I make him think of gypsy music. (laughs)
2: Well, I suppose there's nothing left for me to say... except that I wish you a very merry Christmas, both of you.
4: Thank you, Mr. Martin.
2: Well, good night, Miss Novart.
4: Good night, Mr. Martin.
3: Well, Clara showed up for work, all right, and worked like fury. She told everybody, including Martin and me that she had an engagement for dinner on Christmas Eve, and she was all excited about it. Well, when the shop closed after a record-breaking day before Christmas, only Clara and Martin were left.
4: Oh, uh,
3: before you go, Miss Novak,
2: uh, you want to see something? Hmm? Look, look, how do you like this gold locket?
4: Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah,
2: well, why don't you try it on? i sort of like to see what it looks like on a girl.
4: I didn't know you had a girlfriend. Oh, yes,
2: yes. Probably not easy for you to imagine that somebody would like a man of my type.
4: (laughs) Oh, Mr. Martin. Don't let's start all over again. It's Christmas, and I'd like to be friends with you. Listen, do you mind if I tell you something? No, 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 no. When I first started to work here, you know, something very strange happened to me. I found myself looking at you again and again. I just couldn't take my eyes off you. Really? Mm-hmm. All the time I was saying to myself, Clara Novak, what's the matter with you? This Martin is not a particularly attractive man. I hope you don't mind. No, 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 no. (laughs) And listen, now comes a paradox. I caught myself falling for you. I can't believe it. Yes, Mr. Martin. In those first few weeks, well, there were moments when you could have swept me off my feet. There were. Yes. Uh Well, you see, really, I was a different girl then. I was rather naive. All my knowledge came from books, and I just read a novel about an actress who, when she wanted to rouse a man's interest, she treated him like a dog.
2: Oh, that's true. You treated him like a dog, all right. Yes, but
4: instead of licking my hand, you barked. Oh,
2: well. Well, that's all forgotten now, isn't
4: it? Ah oh, well, and now you go to see your girlfriend. By the way, is it serious? Yes, yes, very. <laughs> we might both be engaged Monday morning.
2: I think we will.
4: Oh, I, I don't want you to misunderstand. In my case, I just say it might happen. You see, he's coming to my house tonight to see me at 8 o'clock.
2: As a matter of fact, I can tell you that it will happen. What? How do you know? Uh, we'll go into that.
4: Mr. Martin, what do you mean it will happen?
2: Well, I, uh, I might just as well tell you. He came to see me. Who? Well, your fiancé. He came last night. Now, you shouldn't have told him who I am. You see, I spent a very uncomfortable hour. He apparently didn't believe it when you wrote him that I meant nothing to you, you see
4: to see you? Oh, no, that doesn't sound like him at all. Oh, no, but I,
2: I straightened everything out. It's all right. Oh, don't worry. In a little while, you'll be Mrs. Popkin. Mrs. Popkin? Popkin? Oh, wasn't that his name? Popkin? I thought that, that's what he told me.
4: Oh, Popkin. Oh, yes, yes, that, that that's right. Popkin.
2: And a very nice fellow. Very nice. I congratulate you.
4: Yes, thank you. I... I think he's a very attractive man, don't you?
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. For his type, I would say, yes, yes. Would you
4: really classify him as a a definite type?
2: Absolutely. And don't you try and change him now. Don't put him on a diet. Don't, Don't...
4: Would you call him fat?
2: Well, that's a matter of opinion. Now, if if I were a girl and had to choose between a young, good-for-nothing with lots of hair and a fine, solid, mature citizen, I'd pick Mathias Popkin every time.
4: But he has a fine mind, don't you think? Didn't he impress you as being rather witty? Mm, well, I don't know. He uh, struck me as
2: being sort of depressed, but of course it's unfair to judge a man who's out of a job. Out
4: of a job? Why, he never told me.
2: Well, I showed you how sensitive he is, but don't worry. Now, he feels that both of you can live very nicely on your salary.
4: <laughs> Terrible. Oh, I'm outraged. I never dreamed he was materialistic like this. If you could read his letters, such ideals. Well, I could quote you passages. To love is, is to be two and yet one. A man, man and, and a A woman wo-
2: blended as angels, heaven itself.
4: How did you know that?
2: That's by Victor Hugo. He stole that.
4: <laughs> oh. Oh, no. I thought I was the inspiration of all those beautiful thoughts. And now I find he was just copying the words out of a book. He probably didn't mean a single one of them.
2: Oh, I'm sorry you feel this way. I, I hate to think I spoiled your Christmas.
4: That's all right. I guess I really ought to thank you. Well, I guess I'd better be going. Oh,
2: Clara, if I'd known in the beginning how you really felt about me, things would have been different. You know know what I wish would happen? When your bell rings at 8 o'clock tonight and you open the door, instead of parking, I come in.
4: It's very sweet of you to try to cheer me up. But I, I think we'd better say goodnight. You have an engagement. Yes, and so have I. And I shouldn't be late.
2: Time.
4: He's not here yet, and I'll thank you not to joke about it.
2: Clara. Clara, couldn't I take his
4: place? Please, you're only making it more difficult for me. Oh,
2: Clara, my darling. Oh, no.
4: You mustn't put your arms around me.
2: They're sweet as Clara. I, I can't stand it any longer. Please take your key. Oh, open Post Office Box 237 no. and take me out of my envelope.
4: Really? And kiss you me. mustn't.
2: Fuck. Dear friend. You. Dear
4: friend. Oh, my darling. Mr. Popkin. Dear Mr.
3: Popkin. Yeah, well, that's about the size of it. Of course, they got married very happy now, those two. <clears throat> and uh, now, if you should ever need some very fine leather goods or anything in the novel line.
0: Thank you, Margaret Sullivan, James Stewart and Frank Morgan for a really grand performance.
1: And that was the thoroughly magnificent The Shop Around the Corner, Starring James Stewart, Margaret Sullivan, and the Irrepressible. Frank Morgan, the Wizard of Oz himself.
0: Steve McQueen and Paul Newman race against time as one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. The towering inferno. It's out of control. It's coming your way. 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers present Irwin Allen's production of
3: The Towering Inferno.
1: So, to enter our competition for this week to win a Blu-ray copy of The Towering Inferno, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page, that's facebookcom attaboyclarence, and like the competition post, which you'll find on the page there, or. Follow us on Twitter at AttaboyC, that's A and retweet the competition post you'll see there. Once again, everyone, if you like old time radio, go to OTRplus.com. They're fantastic fellows. And I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, and I will see you next week. Bye for now.
4: As a long time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places